0: All right, why don't you turn with me again to uh, Luke chapter 1, Uh, the passage Tim read earlier. We'll be looking at that together now. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. Uh, Thank you for singing out. What a joy to be able to sing these truths together. Uh, Thank you, choir. Uh, Lord willing, they'll be singing again uh, next week as well. Let me pray, and then we'll look at God's Word here together. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity now to consider your word. We pray that you would uh, bless it as it is preached. We pray that we would not miss the significance of this section, this passage that's snuck in after Mary's Magnificat, before the angels appear to the shepherds. Help us to understand it in its context, to see the significance as Zechariah, filled with the Spirit, pulls together the story of redemption. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, One of the things that I like to do when I'm in a new place is to try to get up high on the first day, so to get up as high as I can on the first day. And I could think of four or five examples. I'm going to give a couple to you uh, of when I've uh, tried to do this. About 11 years ago, uh, our youth group went out to Salt Lake City uh, to help uh, Risen Life Church, and to help a couple of church planters. Uh and this was a great trip. We we drove over two days. Uh so we did an all day to Omaha, slept in an empty church building, then I did an all day to Salt Lake City. And in our first day there, one of the host pastors, Jared Jenkins, took us to uh kind of an overview and over we did a little short hike and we could look over the valley. And he said, Okay, you know, there's there's the Mormon temple. There's the University of Utah, right? There's there's the lake over there, and Brigham and Young is down that way. And he just kind of oriented us to the valley where we would be all week. And he showed us where the church was, where we had just left to drive up to look up over the valley. My family, a year and a half ago, we were out east visiting my brother up in New Hampshire. And then we shot over to Maine, and we went to Acadia National Park. And if you've been to Acadia National Park, it's a beautiful national park, Uh, but it's not incredibly large as national parks go. If you go out west, there's some massive national parks. And one of the, one of the features of Acadia is to go up Cadillac Mountain. Some of you have been up Cadillac Mountain, and now they require a separate pass to be able to get up there, and you got to have your time slot. And so what did I do? First thing, first day in Acadia, we're going up Cadillac Mountain because I knew at the top of Cadillac Mountain we'd be able to see the park and the coast and the islands, and we'd be able to kind of orient ourselves to this national park and to where we were in Maine. I think it's especially helpful for the kids to kind of, okay, this is where we are. We're on a national park that's on the ocean and we're able to see hey you know there's a beach we're going to head down that way and we're going to go over and look at that and uh, we're going to do a hike over there uh a little a little later i think oftentimes we come to the christmas story and i think especially in a setting like this uh sunday or two before christmas it's a familiar story we anticipate we're grateful for the guests that come and join us this time of year at church and so We want to keep it really simple, right? So we want to talk about uh, the manger and the shepherds and the star and the wise men and the birth of baby Jesus. And I think what can happen inadvertently when we do that is we come to the story every year and we never actually get what's going on in the story. We don't understand it any better this year than we did the year before because we've never kind of stepped back. To get an overview of all that's being fulfilled in that little story. What what is being accomplished? And Zechariah's song in the end of uh, Luke chapter 1 is that overview. It's it's Luke helping us step back and see that when the angel comes to the shepherds in Luke 2 and Jesus is born, there's a lot being pulled together. But we have, to, we have to do the overview. We have to be willing to, to do the little hike, to slow down, to not go right to our kind of favorite spots, but kind of go to a place where we can see, see the context and get a view for the whole. Zechariah knew what was happening because he had the view. As a faithful Jewish man, he knew of the prophecies. He knew of the Old Testament. He knew the context so as we begin i want to hike up to see the whole valley with you i want to drive to the top of cadillac mountain for just a moment so we can see all that's happening all that's laid out the context uh and and we can begin to see what what i think zechariah was reflecting on for for nine months right he couldn't talk and he he knew and he believed that when the baby was born his mouth would be opened and he was ready his heart was full and the spirit filled him and then he he prophesied and out came this overview this view of all that god had and was doing so in order to do that i want you to humor me a little bit because we're gonna we're gonna take some time to do the hike before we have our week together, to go to the top of Cadillac Mountain before we go down to the beach and go to these other favorite spots in the National Park. And that's just going to take a moment. So it's going to be a longer introduction to uh, a fairly short sermon, actually. Uh, So let's take the drive. Let's make the hike. And let's remember that That God calls Abram, back in Genesis chapter 12, you need to turn there, just go back in your mind's eye, be reminded that God made promises to Abram. And the Bible calls that a covenant, sometimes called an oath. And God repeated those, we saw this two weeks ago, to Abraham's son of his old age, right? Isaac and then his grandson Jacob. And of course, Jacob's name would be changed later on to what? To Israel, right? And Jacob would have 12 sons, 12 descendants, and God would lead Jacob and his family into egypt because of this famine and one of his sons would be put in a place of leadership and be able to preserve jacob's family through the famine through being in egypt and of course down in egypt the family jacob's family grew and had descendants they were down there for hundreds of years and it became uh, a nation but it was a nation the nation of israel in captivity and god raised up Moses, right? Moses, the deliverer to redeem his people out of Egypt in the Exodus. And then God made another covenant with the nation, with his people, giving them the law. And he promised that he would dwell in their midst. We saw this over the last couple of months in the tabernacle. And then eventually the temple, once they had settled in the promised land and God promised and we saw this in first samuel chapter two to hannah through hannah's prayer that god would provide a horn this idea of strength of salvation for the people of israel and then god promised israel's king david that a son of his would rule on the throne forever and we keep reading and it's not solomon that's sure it's not his descendants and as the nation prospered in the land It was soon divided by sin. And then another nation came, the nation of Assyria, that had grown in power and it deported the northern kingdom of Israel. But God had not forgotten his people. So he sent messengers, we call them prophets, to do what? To re-preach Deuteronomy to the nation. To remind them, this is how God instructed you. This is how you ought to live. And when you don't, there will be blessings and there will be Also curses for disobedience. Explaining God's faithfulness even in the midst of his judgment of the nation of Israel. Even through wicked nations like Assyria. And then God raised up the Babylonians. And the southern kingdom of Israel was taken into exile. Maybe you remember Daniel and God's faithfulness. His example of faithfulness in in exile. Then Persia. Persia overtook babylon and the persian king allowed some of the israelites to return to their home and they returned to start rebuilding but they are crying because it's not what it was it's not the glory the high point the prosperity that they knew under solomon it wasn't what they longed for it wasn't what they anticipated and yet god continued to send prophets He sent three in particular, the last three in your Old Testament, the post-exilic prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And Malachi said this, For you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in his wings. Soon Persia's power would, would wane and Rome would take regional power over even those who had returned and the second temple was slowly built and yet the jews remained under roman governors under roman taxes longing for redemption longing to be redeemed to be freed from captivity for they had long been captive they longed for god to visit his people in their suffering conquer their enemies to redeem them now we're ready to see what Zechariah saw often we look at the New Testament and we're looking for quotes from the Old Testament okay so this New Testament verse quotes that Old Testament verse and that happens often and that is glorious but perhaps more often is themes from the Old Testament are pulled And, and mentioned, and we have to know the Old Testament. We have to have the view from Cadillac Mountain to realize that when that is mentioned or that word is used, there's a theme, there's, there's a momentum from the Old Testament that's now being fulfilled. I think that's the key to understanding the significance, being able to explain the significance of these events in and through John. You see what Christmas really is only when you have the overview. And you see that Jesus is fulfilling the promises. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies even in his birth. All right. Now, three points all around the word mercy. The word mercy is in John's birth. The word mercy is in the first half and in the second half of Zechariah's prophecy. I think this section is about mercy, and I think Luke is wanting us to see God's mercy to Israel as a nation through Zechariah and Elizabeth, through John, and then ultimately through Jesus. So point one, mercy's wonder. Wonder. Mercy's wonder, right? Responding to the miracle of mercy with wonder. Look down at verse 30... Oh, sorry, 57. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Uh, in my copy of God's Word, uh, the headings in none of ours are inspired, and mine says this. The birth of John the Baptist. And of course, what's surprising is that the birth is only one verse. So what else happens in the section down to verse 66, right? It can't just be the birth. Verse 67 is the birth. What? What else is happening? Well, it's actually his naming this is the naming of john the baptist that's what this little section is about and it doesn't happen on day one it happens on day eight normally kids are named on day one my kids were all named on day one we almost had one that was day two but we came to a consensus we had day one naming that was typical then it's typical now but if you remember back if you remember the story abram his name was changed to abraham when he was circumcised john's name is given to him when he's circumcised when is jesus going to get his name not day one day eight when he's circumcised so there's even here a little identifying of john and jesus with this lineage of faith so this is a naming story more than a birthing story in verses 57 through 58 but luke doesn't just simply say okay john was born There was this little kerfuffle about the name. They got it all squared away. His name's John. Oh, that's what Gabriel said. And then he moves on. He doesn't want to just tell us that it happened. He's emphasizing something. And as you read over these verses, maybe you heard this as Tim was reading earlier. I'm going to highlight a few of them. It's the response of the people. The the main kind of response to Jesus is the family and friends. It's the neighbors who are gathered. There's an atmosphere of worship because they understood that God was showing great mercy in john's birth isn't that significant they rejoiced with her they all wondered zechariah zechariah finally can talk and he joins in blessing excuse me blessing god fear comes upon them word spreads throughout the region they lay it up in their hearts you know that line right from mary twice in chapter two she's gonna store these things up treasure these things up in her heart and hear all the town people do that notice how they end in verse 66 what then will this child be and then luke inserts the the comment to help us orient ourselves again for the hand of the lord is with him just as god had promised through the angel gabriel so the banner over their response is this wonder Wonder at the mercy of God and the miracle of John's birth. As Gabriel had said, his his dad wouldn't be able to talk until he's born. He's born, and now Zechariah can talk. Gabriel said his name would be John, and his parents, obedient as they are, name him, not Zechariah after his father, but name him John. Gabriel said the lord would be with john from his mother's womb and that's exactly luke's assessment in verse 66 in fact john's name means the lord is gracious or we could say the lord is merciful this passage is all about god's mercy and the response of rejoicing and wondering and and reflecting God's great mercy, and that's their response. That ought to be our response, right? Worship is the response to God's mercy. We see this throughout Scripture. We'll come back to that point. So if you can just kind of flag that in your mind, worship is the response to God's mercy. It's what we have here. These Israelite family and neighbors and John, they're all rejoicing at the mercy. Mercy leads them to praise God. How are you responding to God's mercy in your life? Do you, do you rejoice? Do you, are you amazed? Are you, do you respond with wonder or do you tend to take it for granted? Like saved, but kind of able to forget it. Zechariah, as I mentioned, has been waiting now for nine months. He is ready to bless God. And when the Spirit fills him in verse 67, what comes next is amazing. That's how one preacher summarized it. It's a declaration of the Lord's salvation foreshadowed in the birth of John. So he sings out of his view from Cadillac Mountain right he he's been to the overlook he sees the whole valley of salt lake and he he can point things out he has a perspective he's reflected he knows israel's history so he sees the significance zechariah makes sense of gabriel's message to his wife and then his message to mary because he knew the context and only if we understand his response We'll only be able to do that, rather, if we understand the context, too. Sometimes this is called benedictus. Benedictus, right? That's just the Latin of the first word. So magnificat, the first word in Mary's song. My soul magnifies. So here we have blessed be the Lord God of Israel, verse 68, sometimes called benedictus. Understanding the Old Testament, New Testament now is helping to tie this together point number two point number two mercy's goal mercy what is the goal of mercy i've already hinted at it we saw mercy's wonder as they respond to the miracle of mercy in the birth and naming of john but now point number two this is verse is 67 uh, all the way down to verse 75 mercy's goal we are saved by god to serve him We are saved by God to serve him. As we're reading along, we have to remember our little summary overview of the Old Testament from Cadillac Mountain. Because as we're reading along, if we don't, we'll miss what this song is all about. So look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has visited and redeemed his people. We hear the word redeemed and we think, well, I'll just say for me. We went to a redemption center growing up. So before they had the inverse vending machines at Kroger, uh, we used to go to a place back, about back east where you'd bring your cans and you would line them. I have no idea if they had this in Michigan, so you all could just smile and nod as if you understand. They had these boxes and you'd go in and the smell was not nice in this place and you would line up all your cans and set them in and you'd, set them and you'd, and you'd get some money. They would pay you the five cents or whatever for the deposit. That was redemption. That was redemption. But when Zechariah means it, he's not thinking about cans, obviously. He's thinking about the Exodus. He's thinking about Egypt. He's thinking about deliverance. He's thinking about captivity to the enemies. So when he says this, he's he's referencing God's work, the wonder of God's work in the past and how that points forward to what God is doing through the Messiah. Listen to how Peter reflects on this knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. How were you ransomed? With the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, ransomed from futility to meaninglessness of life without God, just like Egypt now the nation is to be ransomed. We keep reading verse 69, raised up a horn of salvation. That's how Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2 begins, verse 1, and ends, verse 10. In the house of his servant David, bringing our mind back to God's promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 to David that a son of his would reign forever. Maybe you remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus if you go to Luke 24. And the resurrection has just happened, and they're they're walking home. Seven, eight-mile hike. They're outside of Jerusalem, and uh, they're just dejected, right? And do you remember what they said? They said, I thought he was going to save us, right? He died, and, and they know of the resurrection, but they haven't put it all together, the nature of his redemption. But Zechariah gets it. He uses redeeming language he uses salvation language to speak of all that christ has and will accomplish then verse 70 what did the prophets speak of but mercy the mercy promised come thou long expected jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us let us find our rest in the. keep looking to verse 72 to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant this is where we began noting from Cadillac Mountain the overview of what God did in Genesis 12 finds its fulfillment in Jesus Th- these events can't be explained until we realize the fulfillment of the promises of the covenants of the oaths of the Old Testament in Christ then it says, to show the mercy promised. Friends, I, I, I love how, how one preacher put it. This is so good, right? Mercy is not an afterthought of God because of sin. It's been his plan all along. So it wasn't like God had a plan A and then, oh man, stake, sin. Better go with plan B, mercy. No, there's no plan B with our God. He's always planned to show Mercy. To extend grace towards sinners. This is what God has been about. And Zechariah gets it. He gets that it's happening now through John and the one to whom John is pointing. Jesus. Zechariah is declaring. Here's the answer. It's Jesus. He's the answer. He's the one that's long expected. This is how Paul puts it. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. It's God's kindness. In Christ, we get what we don't deserve. We don't get what we do deserve. What we deserve has been taken by Christ as he bore our sins. He who didn't deserve what we deserve. This is mercy. And Zechariah gets it because he gets the overview of all that God is doing. All that God has promised to do. He knows the nation's rebellion. He knows that they've been in exile so long, and yet God is coming to his people. He's visiting them. Don't you love that language? He is visiting them and redeeming them and raising up a horn of salvation in their midst. Look at verse 74. Saved by God. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, note this, might serve him. Might serve him, saved by God to serve God. Not serve people for people. This is what we slip into. This is what I slip into so often, right? Serve people for people or serve people for person, me, for self. Sometimes we think, okay, I'm saved to serve, but there's no thought to God. We just get serving Save to serve, but we kind of reduce it to what what I might call Chick-fil-A service, right? We serve for my joy, right? This is my joy, my pleasure. We're serving for people, not ultimately for him. We enjoy serving, but no thought of God himself. So selfless service can be enjoyable and not worshipful. But what we have here is not serve people for people, but serve people for The Lord, we serve the Lord, and that looks like serving people. Imagine meeting a Christian that says, man, I'm serving the Lord with my life. And then you say, well, what do you do? I'm just serving the Lord. Are you serving? No, I'm just serving the Lord. You mean you're not serving anybody? No, I'm serving the Lord. No, serving the Lord looks like serving people. You can't do the one without doing the other. That's how the good works he's made for us are to be worked out in our lives. Of course, this is hard. We see people, we enjoy serving them, but keeping the Lord central is the only way to sustain our service. Because our joy is going to ebb and flow and people can be really difficult. And we will give up or we'll burn out or we'll need to take a break if we're not serving people for the Lord. Notice mercy's goal. It's it's remarkable. It's right there in verse 74. It's service saved by God to serve God. Just like Israel of old. That's why the Lord redeemed them out of Egypt that they might serve him. Think of Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God. Theme of our passage. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is your reasonable or spiritual worship service. Worship is the response to mercy. So redeemed people worship. And we worship through serving. That is the goal. That is the end. That is why the Lord saved you so that you might serve him, glorify him, worship him with your life. So often we separate Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 from verse 10. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. Lest anyone should boast. But then verse 10 says, for We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You've been saved in order to lay your life down in an act of worship to serve, to serve him. And serving him always looks like serving people, serving his purposes in the world. So we've seen mercy's wonder and we've seen mercy's goal now point three mercy's peace mercy's peace the gospel light of forgiveness so here zechariah's song shifts a little bit here from focus on the messiah to focus on john in verse 76 but notice what happens he starts talking about john and right away he slips into john's purpose john's message and then he's back talking to jesus about jesus rather right so he he's excited that his son's going to be born but he knows that john is is the messenger pointing to the message he's he's the, the the morning light pointing to the arrival of the son in fact that's the image he uses it really is remarkable right you You will be called the prophet of the Most High. Of course, Gabriel called Jesus the son of the Most High back in chapter 1 as he was speaking to Mary. For you will go before the Lord. Why will John go before the Lord? Why will Zechariah's son go before the Lord? Note the reasons there. To prepare his way. The end of verse 76. John the Baptist was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus. How else? To give knowledge, verse 77, of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. So John calls people to salvation, and John's going to call people especially to forgiveness of their sins. How? By preaching repentance. Repentance so you see this right without clarity on their own sin they will we will downplay our need for forgiveness so if you don't think you've done anything wrong what do you need to be forgiven for do you see so john comes and he preaches a message of repentance so that they might receive forgiveness in jesus That is salvation. But when you've sinned against a holy God, you respond. Wait, wait a second. He's going to show me mercy? Mercy? A holy God has made a way for me as a sinner to be forgiven? Yes. Yes. Note where he goes next. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Friends, mercy from God is how we can know forgiveness. There's no forgiveness without mercy. Jesus took what our sin deserved so that he might show us, so that we might receive mercy. Our problem is our sin. And if we could put it this way, God's problem is mercy. God's problem is mercy. How can he, as a holy God, justly forgive our sin? How can he remain just and declare righteous sinners? Paul tries to wrestle with this and indeed answers this in Romans chapter 3. Imputation. It's a big word. It's a $5 word, isn't it? Imputation. My sin credited to Christ. His righteousness credited to me. That's how he can be just and the justifier of sinners like you and I. Oh the miracle of mercy 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 through Jesus Christ keep reading whereby the sun s u n referring to Jesus shall visit us from on high Zechariah knew the prophecy the prophecy of Malachi 4 to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace so mercy's peace comes to those upon whom mercy's sun has risen upon whom mercy's light has dawned mercy brings sinners enemies of God into peace with God mercy's peace only comes through the light through the coming of the light the light of the world Zechariah like faithful Israelites before him trusted God's promises and anticipated he knew the context. He had the view from Cadillac Mountain. He saw what was happening. And for nine months, he meditated and reflected. And then he could look back and he could see redemption. He could see Davidic fulfillment. He could see God's kindness and mercy in defeating enemies. He could see the covenant with Abraham remembered. He could see the foreshadowed and prophesied light rising. He could see tender mercies being extended. He could see the way of peace. He knew the overview. And so when the angel came to Elizabeth and came to Mary, he only doubted for a moment. He was a faithful man. And then he reflected and he reflected And I suspect he drove up to the top of Cadillac Mountain again and again over those nine months and said, can you believe it? Can you believe it? Do you see what God is doing? He was ready, anticipating, waiting for the sun to rise, as Malachi said. And when his voice returned, he joined his family. He joined his neighbors. He joined those other faithful, anticipating ones in rejoicing. In a miracle of mercy. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are humbled and amazed that you are faithful and that your faithfulness extends towards us as sinners through mercy. Through mercy. Thank you that in Christ we can be recipients of mercy. Our sin credited to Christ and his righteousness credited to us. The son indeed has risen in Christ in the incarnation. Securing our redemption through his blood. Risen on the third day conquering sin and death. So that we might be redeemed, freed from our captivity to sin and death, freed from our futility. Father, we thank you for the redemption that is ours in Jesus. We're reminded that the response to mercy is worship. And worship always includes all of us serving only you. And serving you always looks like loving people. So, Father God, I pray that you would help us to know and love your mercy so that we know and love people. Would your grace towards us overflow and move towards those closest to us? Father, we pray for those here this morning who are perhaps outside of Christ. As they reflect on the simplicity of the Christmas story, of angels and shepherds and mangers and Mary, would they see your faithfulness, in extending mercy to them even now thank you that you are kind and gracious and merciful and we pray that it would lead each one here to repentance father god we ask now as we conclude as we lift our voices a final time in response to your mercy that you would be glorified we pray in christ's name